A warning. This episode of Residence contains coarse language, descriptions of graphic violence and sexual assault, and drug references. Listener discretion is advised. Having lived abroad several times, I'm endlessly fascinated by stories of people packing their bags and heading off in search of a place to call home, even if it's for a short time. She said it to me. She just said, I've lied to you. Um, your dad is alive. He lives in Australia. you married with kids. And I was like, cool story. Why are you telling me this now? Anyone who's ever relocated to another country is familiar with the range of emotions that can come with it. From anticipation, excitement, and fun, to disappointment, stress, heartache, and sometimes even trauma. Um, And that's, you know, unfortunately, you just need to get out of there. And that's one of the reasons why my mom was smart enough to send me away. You know, I started experiencing some stuff. It's It's a haunted sort of area that you just can't escape. This podcast explores the question, what is home? Is it just a place of residence or something more than that? Welcome to the Residence Podcast. Hello. (laughs) How are you? Good, how are you? Sorry, that thing directed me like... Hello. She's really friendly. She's excited to see you. I pictured her as being, I don't know, dinner or something. No, she's bulky. Hello. No jumping. No jumping. She's no jumping. Down. Nala. No, get down. She's so happy. How are you? Good. How are you? Good to see you too. I hadn't seen Mimi in about two years when we were finally able to meet and record this episode. She welcomed me into her two-story home in the western suburbs where she lives with her fiancé and her dog Nala. She hadn't changed a bit. She was still the funny, warm, witty and attractive Ethiopian girl from Canada I'd become great friends with at work several years ago. On this particular Saturday afternoon, not too long after a lot of COVID restrictions in Melbourne had begun to lift, she was relaxing at home with Nala and Netflix. I was an hour late due to heavy traffic but this didn't phase her at all. Mimi had said prior to us catching up how nervous she felt about sharing her story, and I didn't blame her. By the time she arrived in Australia at 16 years old, she'd experienced more twists and turns, more trauma and disappointment than most people would ever see in their entire life, which makes the way she holds herself today, and in general, all the more impressive and inspiring. She's happy to get straight into the interview. Do we, want, do we want to use your name or do you just want to go anonymous? I don't mind. Let's do it. Yeah. Do you want to start by saying like how we know each other? How do we know each other? Well, we met at work. What, you worked there for mm, over a year? I think I was there for n- a year, nearly two. Yeah. Nearly two. Yeah. yeah. And that's where we built our special relationship. Exactly. <laughs> How's life been since like COVID? I mean, is that a stupid question? Um... Not too bad. The only really, you know, shitty thing is I don't get to see my fiance. I haven't seen him for like five, five months, I think. Yeah. How long have you guys been together? Uh, be five years in April. 
And so where's, where's your fiancé from? My fiancé is from Croatia. Okay, and how long has he been in Australia for? Um, I think he's been here for about, what, seven years or something? Seven years. Uh, yeah, originally he's from, like, uh, Queensland. Uh, he's been around in Tamsworth. That's how you say it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and then in Melbourne for about five years. Oh wow! And how long? And how long? How long have you guys been together? It'll be five years in five years. April. So you met not too long after he got here. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, he moved down from Brisbane to Melbourne to get a job, and he quickly built his life here. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. We go on to talk more about Mimi's fiance later in the episode, and how important he's been in her building a more positive life, full of healthy relationships. But not before we delve into her past. A past that began in the grimy projects of Toronto, Canada. But even before that, we talk about her mother and her father and their story in their home country of Ethiopia. So yeah, your mum your mum um, fell pregnant with you when she was in Ethiopia, right? Yeah. yeah. What can you off the top of your head can you tell me about like Ethiopia? Um, um and the culture there or to be honest, I, I haven't been blessed enough to go there myself. Um, I do know that it is a place that's rich in history and culture, and they're very proud people. Um, I, I don't know much about it. I would love to go there myself just to see some of the historical churches that are there. So, yeah, my, my parents met there, and um, she was quite young when she fell pregnant with me. Um, and then she ran away from Ethiopia to Canada Mm -hmm. so yeah and there I was born (laughs) and why did she do that um well firstly my mom uh fell in love with somebody that was um he was close to the family he was older and he's Christian um she was really in love with him but she was way too young and she was Muslim um and you know in Muslim culture it's it's uh, not frowned upon. It's 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 a big no-no over there. So, um, yeah, she made a run for it. And has she spoken to her parents since? Um, so my grandfather died while she was in Canada. Um, and my mother hasn't spoken to... Well, she spoke to her mother, um, but she saw her only 17 years later. Um, and she also, um, my grandmother died. Um, but yeah, it took a little while for them to kind of get over it. So. Mm, Absolutely. Um, okay. So she moved to, she, she, she pregnant with you. She moved to Canada. Did she tell your dad about that or did she just leave? Um, yes, my mom did tell my dad about that. Um, and once she moved to Canada, um, she, up and changed and decided to uh, drop all communications with my dad and she made it impossible for my dad to find me where she gave me a different surname and it's I mean nobody really has a surname like this (laughs) my dad is you know he's got a Ethiopian surname my name is different I don't know my mom is um, an Arab surname so uh, my dad could not find me. So, and what? And is it for safety reasons she didn't want him to find you? I think she was just petty. <laughs> I think that's all it was, man. She's like, "Ha, huh, one up on you, man." 
right. I never really got the truth because there's like you know there's her side of the story then there's his side of the story and you know I've I've lived with my mom for a long time and I lived with my dad for a long time and I kind of speculate on what the truth might be but um, I never got the opportunity to really ask my mom like why'd you do it man <laughs> you know what I mean it's just kind of you know it's between them and it is what it is I, I made peace with it a long time ago Newly pregnant, her mother made her way to Canada, where she hoped to find a better and safer life for her future child. Uh, I was born right next door to uh, Toronto in a place called Hamilton. Um, I was only born there, never lived there. And then we moved over to Toronto. Um, My childhood was kind of a, like a blur up until like the age of five, I guess. (laughs) I lived in a neighborhood called Regent Park for all my life there and that's got some rich history. <laughs> Built in the 40s, Regent Park was Canada's first public housing project and it was here that Mimi would witness graphic violence, degradation and wasted potential on a daily basis. Regent Park is, I mean, I got to represent Regent Park. That's where I was from. That's where I grew up. But it is a very, very dangerous neighborhood. Um, So, you know, you hear about Bloods and Crips, and that is very real. Um, Regent Park, South Side, that's very much Bloods. Um, I've never really got involved in any of it until I came here and then started hearing more about Bloods and Crips. I was like, that's a real thing. It's not a big deal there. It's a big deal here. Um, Why is it not a big deal there? Because it's so common. You know, oh, it's wow. really common. Like I would never step into an area that's like blue, which is the Crips. Um, I would I would never do that even as a child because, you know, if anybody knew that you were from one of those areas, they might treat you differently. It wouldn't hurt you. You're a child, but they might treat you differently. So um, you, you, there was a lot of violence, a lot of drugs, lots and lots of drugs um, no matter what time of the day it is, there's just drug dealers everywhere, junkies everywhere. And in the apartment building that I lived in, you know, you can't use the um, emergency stairs because there's always people shooting up in the stairs. Elevator's not working. You ain't going to school. <laughs> You're not going to work. Do not go down those stairs. Uh, there's a few times that I've gone there and I, I've witnessed um, some things there, you know, like the dead bodies or people having sex or you know um just really messed up my mom got jumped in in one of the stairways there and um they split her ear from where her piercing was all the way down so now she can't wear any earrings on that side why it it, her ears just completely split why no why did they do that who knows they're junkies (laughs) i don't know know. it's just something it's so common there like you're just like oh again Right. And you moved there with your mum. Was it just you and your mum in that apartment? Yeah, it was just me and my mum. I'm very familiar with the neighbourhood and, you know, it was really normal for me. Um, And then for me to come here and live a completely different lifestyle, you're just like, shit, I was in danger every day there. (laughs) You just think about it, you're like, what a dangerous place. But it was. There's like a lot of guns, uh, bullets everywhere. Um, It was really, really messy. Um, really happy 
that they've cleaned it up and they've tore down all those old buildings and they've made it all nice and clean and, and new. But if you were to actually go onto Google and, and have a look at it yourself, it was it was not a place to visit. I have I have done. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Before yeah. I came before I came over here, I was looking at it. But I remember looking at it when when you told me about Regent Park at work. I remember just being fascinated because I think people have these stereotypes of places in their head and you think what you're explaining about Regent Park, and I know maybe it's a bit naive, but like uh, you associate that kind of thing with the US, um, you know, like, yeah. yeah. And then, but you know, and then Canada's this happy, but it's no, nowhere's immune. To I, it. You know, what's really immune. funny is that when I lived in Canada and I lived in Regent Park and people would talk to me about Brooklyn and, and you know, all those badass areas over in America, I'm like, they cannot be worse than this shithole. Like no way. There is no way it's worse than, and I've been to those places and I've seen a few things like carjackings and stuff. I'm like, that ain't shit. <laughs> you come to Regent Park, we'll show you dangerous. <laughs> Mimi goes on to give me more examples of the danger she's talking about, and they're much worse than I thought. So I think when that happened, I was probably the age of maybe 11, 12. I think it's safe to say 12. Um, this is really common. Um, so where I lived, the apartment building, um, right behind my apartment building is my school. So the only thing that separates my school from my apartment building is a football field. And um, this was during recess and I was walking towards my apartment building because there's a park there. And my mom's weed dealer, um, he had said hello. And I said hello. And he's a really nice guy. Um, mind you, this is probably my mom's like fifth, sixth weed dealer. And while he was saying hello, there were some police officers that were just calling out to him, asking him to, you know, just wait a second. And when he seen that, he was like, all right, peace, Mimi. And he just made a run for it. And the cops called out to him again, and he just kept running. And they didn't even try to chase him. They just pulled out the gun and just started shooting away. And I had to go back and tell my mom, like, your dude is dead. Like, I saw him die. Right in front of you? Yeah. They shot him, like, five times? Yeah, five, seven times or something like that. And they killed him? Yeah. It was really common. Like, I mean, during, um, because when I was in Canada... Um, I was Muslim there because my mom's Muslim. I'm Orthodox at the moment, be clear. Um, and there was one time that we went to a mosque and this was probably eight o'clock at night. And we were walking home one night from the mosque to back to my apartment building. And one of my mom's friends, who's really nice, um, he's always treated me really good. And he's also a drug dealer. And he just had, you know, his friend with him. And when we were walking past him, he was holding a brick. And he was beating this guy's head in with this brick. And he paused to say hi to my mom. And over there, they call my mom Jerry. That's like her Canadian name to fit in. And he was like, yo, Jerry. Hey, Mimi, what's up? He's like, I'm going to bring that TV for you later on tonight. Mom's like, don't worry about it, dude. Don't worry about it. And he's like, all right, I'll see you later. And then right back to like, beating this guy's head in and I knew that guy as well and that was just your local junkie 
yeah. And all I could hear him say is like, you know, talking about, um, where's my money? You know, and you know it's not a lot of money because that's a junkie. Yeah. <laughs> so you can die for any reason over there. Really? And it was the most graphic thing I had ever seen. Like, it was just such a slow death. Mm. And he died, the guy. I, I actually don't know. They don't report on that kind of stuff. But it's just, media, it's, it's too often that people die in my neighborhood, right. you know? And it's like, it's gang violence, drug violence, all that kind of stuff. Was it all bloods and cribs? No, that, that kind of stuff you never really see. Like, there's... No one's going to step onto each other's territories. Um, in my neighborhood, it was just a lot of drugs. And if it was any gangs, it wasn't Bloods and Crips. It was just like your local gangs, you know. Um, so, yeah. I asked Mimi if she wants to take a break, but she maintains her composure and says she's okay to continue. You're good? Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> okay, good, good. She goes on to talk about her mother and her weed dealers. She mentions that they changed quite often. And when I asked why, her response is simple. Because they kept dying. <laughs> Either dying or getting locked up. It was one or the other. So uh, so we've got a community center um, just about 100 meters away from my apartment building. And um, there was, in order to get to the community center, there's like an alleyway. It's not one of those spooky alleyways. It's just an alleyway that is, you know between the community center and the other houses. You yeah. have to walk through it. And uh, there was a few people standing around and I had a look and it was my mom's other weed dealer um, and he was dead. And I, I think he was shot or stabbed, I'm not sure, but he was dead with, in a pool of blood. The cops came later and I, Went home and I was like, another one's dead. <laughs> they were all really nice people, you know. Um, my mom was particular about which ones would come to the house, and they, the the guys that did come and just you know bring over the weed, they're really nice and respectful, and you know you think of drug dealer and you think badass but they're really soft when it came to me and always trying to bring me candy or toys or something really nice guys but it was unfortunate what happened to them it really is kind of a way of life over there you get caught up really young um you know your, your family your older siblings fall into it um there's not a lot of people that escape that lifestyle i got lucky but yeah Mimi and I talk about how Regent Park has affected some of her closest friends, and I ask her if she still keeps in contact with them. I also ask her if they've fallen victim to Regent Park and the cycle it creates, although I feel I already know the answer. A lot, a lot of them do. Um, you know, when, when we're all kids, we're just kids. Might be badass little kids, you know, but growing up and just keeping in touch with a few friends and... Um, keeping up to date with how everyone is doing. You find out that some of them are locked up or some of them are in hospital or some of them are even dead. Um, unfortunately, you're just a, a victim to your neighborhood. Like, it's just the way it is. It's a cycle. Yeah. Do you think, do you think escaping is the only way? I do think so. I mean, the neighborhood was so bad that they had to tear it down and start again. Like, it, it obviously is escaping that... Uh, that 
that whole history of it. It just needs to be wiped out. A lot of my friends that continued on to have families and, you know, live a good life, they've left there, not left Toronto or anything, but left that area. Um, because it, it started way before our generation and before the generation of that, it was just like this. It's like just a, it's a, it's a haunted sort of area that you just can't escape. Um, and that's, you know, unfortunately you just need to get out of there. And that's one of the reasons why my mom was smart enough to send me away. You know, I started experiencing some stuff. Um, and once you get to a certain age, you know, from childhood to adolescence, you know, uh, she didn't want me to start rebelling. And especially with, you know, some of the things that I started experiencing, you can rebel. This is where Mimi shares with me the most heartbreaking part of the story. Well, it's, it's not, it's, um, it's just, uh, when I was younger, uh, we had a family friend, um, who kind of, he, he touched me inappropriately a few times. Um, and there was, yeah, I started acting a little bit weird, started, you know, becoming a bit more of a tomboy and yeah. yeah so my mom kind of knew like, I need to get her, it's, she needs her father. You know, so, yeah. yeah. I, I would say escaping is the only way to, to get out of that lifestyle. Because yeah. I really didn't see a future for myself anyway. Because when I was there, um, my future didn't matter to me. The now kind of mattered to me, you know. Having fun, living my best life. It wasn't my best life. It was just having fun. Um, I didn't care about school or anything like that. And once I came here, all I thought about was my future mm -hmm. and getting an education, you know, building some security for myself. Yeah. Um, my mentality completely changed once I stepped out of that environment. So once I was finished uh, with middle school, my mom uh, had decided my fate that I was going to go to a school called Eastern Commerce. And Eastern Commerce is renowned for, you know, um, pretty much producing some of the best basketball players in, in Toronto. And um, that's, that's why you go to those schools. It's a basketball school, really. How old were you at this time? Uh, so I was four, oh, 13. 13. Thir 13, yeah, okay. 13. No, 14, one or the other. Yeah. Anyway. Is this around the time you started rebelling again? I, I wasn't rebelling so much, but I was, I was getting close to it where I just started skipping school. I wasn't rebelling against my mom because I'm not that kind of kid. <laughs> but I started skipping school, dressing a bit more like a tomboy. Um, and I started going to this stupid school and I really didn't want to go there. But my mom made me go there because there was a boy in my um, apartment building that was going to that school. And he is phenomenal in basketball um and it was it was just a big joke for me i just thought even if i do go to this school who's gonna take me seriously it's eastern commerce like i had other hopes and dreams for myself when it came to high school so i'm gonna go to this school and i'm gonna finish and you know and people will accept me into work because i went to this high school but no my mom sent me to eastern commerce um and it was interesting because you go to those kind of schools and they're really passionate about, you know, their their basketball career. And, you know, you kind of just witness, you know, the fights and right. and all of that. We were within school, um, you know, within the team, like, you didn't pass the ball, motherfucker, and oh, just, yeah. yeah, catch you outside. It was interesting, I mean. And they're from that neighborhood, so, like, is it fair to say that, like, 
there was, there was so much riding on it because a lot of them, that's all they had. That's all some of those guys maybe had. That was their ticket in a way, basketball. Yeah, yeah. Eastern Commerce was further from my house. So you had people from, you know, all different walks of life that right. went to that school. I didn't feel like I belonged there, you know. Um, I, I felt really forced to go there. And my mom just wanted me to go there. Why didn't you feel like you belonged there? Oh, well, it was a basketball school, right. you know? You I, I'm not an athletic person. It's not my dream. I mean, I don't want that on my resume. Right, right. <laughs> oh, my God, if my friends from Canada hear this and they went to that school. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have a dream back then? No, I kind of just had an idea of where I wanted to go to school. And in my mind, it was like, if I go to the school, maybe things will be different. Like, you know, maybe... I'll be more into my education. Mm-hmm. And, and that's like, you know, a bit of a stepping stool to building a future, you know. Um, but going to Eastern Commerce, it was just, yeah, it was a joke. I was skipping school so much. Um, and there was no way that I could pass French because if you don't pass French, you're not passing life. Like you're not going to get anywhere if you don't pass French. And there was no chance I was going to pass it. In Canada. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 With her traumatic experience affecting her behaviour and a failed attempt at fitting in at a new school, Mimi's mother decided it was time to take more drastic action. She decided Mimi needed a male figure in her life. She needed her father. But first, she had to let her know that the father that for most of her life she thought was dead was actually alive and well and living in Melbourne, Australia, with a family of his own. Oh, ever since I was a kid. Uh, Father's Day was always a, like, everyone's like, I'm painting this for my dad. I'm making macaroni and paper for my dad. And all I I'm like, make it for my mom. Because <laughs> um, I don't have a dad. <laughs> everyone bragging about these dads they have. <laughs> and then I accepted it. It's like, yeah, you died in a car accident. Had a full story for it. That's what she told me. Uh, I, re- I really don't know why she, why she even did it. Um, yeah. But my whole life, it was... My dad is dead. Yeah. Um, and she got her friends to play along. Like, oh, yeah, he was he was a handsome man. He was a good fella. And, you know, it's really a shame what happened to your father. I'm like, go. And I had no emotional attachment to that because I didn't know who he was, you know. When I was 15, I came home one day and my mom was sitting there having coffee with uh, a gentleman. Um, never seen this guy in my life. And most serious guy I've ever seen. It was like he was Ethiopian mafia or something. And my mom was like, hey, Mimi, come over here and meet this dude. And I was like, cool. Sup? <laughs> he was like, I'm telling you, it was, he was like a PI or something. I'm not too sure. No, I think he was my, he was my mom's friend. He was, he was a friend of hers who I hadn't met before. And, um, and while he was there, um, she said it to me. She just said, I've lied to you. Um, your dad is alive. He lives in Australia. He's married with kids. And I was like, cool story. Why are you telling me this now? And she's like, I need you to do something. I need you to write a letter to your father and find a picture and put it in an envelope. This man is going to Melbourne, where your dad is, and the Ethiopian community over there, the 
Christian Ethiopian community is quite close there and he will find it. And all I thought was cool. Cause like, what are the likelihoods of him binding my dad <laughs> with a letter and a picture? I was like, yeah, no worries. Like, sup dad good to hear you're alive i don't need anything like really sassy fucking letter <laughs> and i put a sassy picture with like a nike jumper and i was like sup was like my brain <laughs> and um i gave it to this guy and i was like good luck two weeks later i get a phone call six o'clock in the morning from my dad and he's like i am your father and i'm like shit it's real and then i spoke to like my siblings i spoke to my sister and i just thought wow so australian people are english and my sister was like no we're australian and i was like you guys sound the same she's like no we don't and i'm like okay cool i'm like i can't wait to meet you guys and i think about maybe a month later my mom said to me like you know you're gonna go there and you're gonna stay with them for three or six months She's like, so pack as much as you can. And I was like, all right, cool. I, I only came to that realization of how much it was really necessary for me to leave is when my future, you know, came to fruition. It was, it was a, kind of a realization, you know. Um, when I was there um, and I found out that I was going to be leaving Canada, I was heartbroken you know, it's a whole new country. It's a, a father I didn't know existed. It's a family I didn't know existed. And, you know, like, what are Australians? Are they black? Are they white? Like, what do they even do? Where is Australia? <laughs> I knew nothing about it. Um, everyone's like, huh, careful of those kangaroos. I'm like, and I had um, gotten on a plane and I had some woman taking care of me on this plane they have like a special service for kids where you know they take care of you and I was on this plane with this kid named Ned and Ned was from New Zealand and me and him just got along like a house on fire we were just like yeah we're gonna be best friends forever and he was like oh you're going to Australia I'm like yeah he's like have you ever been there I'm like no he's like be careful I'm like why he's like they don't like black people <laughs> I was like really he's like, they're so racist and then i watched a movie and i seen like in this movie i watched a snake coming up the toilet i'm like oh hell no <laughs> i was so terrified and who was there to pick her up from the airport other than her father himself and all her new siblings siblings who talked acted and dressed differently to her siblings who were different in almost every way she feared they'd have absolutely nothing in common it was, um, it was interesting when I first met my dad because it's the first time that I'm meeting him and I'm only like, you know, 15 and um, there's not mo much of an emotional attachment um, and I've known that he's been dead my whole life and now he's alive. It's a lot for me to process. So I was just kind of happy and pleased to meet him, but I wasn't in the state that he was in. He was like crying and, you know... Um, it was a moment for him. But for me, it was just like, can we go to your house now? <laughs> kind of hungry. <laughs> yeah, it was him and um, close family, friends. There was like 20 people there to greet me. Um, and my little siblings, like my brother and my sister, were so little and they just didn't care for me. Like, hey, and then running around with their friends. 
So did he know about you this whole time? He knew, he knew about me. But he didn't know where to find you? No way he could find me. Right, because he'd moved from, when did he move from Ethiopia to Australia? Uh, probably not long after that. After your mum, after your mum left? Uh, yeah, probably not long after that. Um, yeah, yeah, it's really crazy. So I came to Australia with my guards up and as soon as I came here and I had met my family, I, I already had my guards up. I was like, hello, father and family and you know it was big party for me and then they made me go to this school and I had my guards up I was just like ready to kick ass because I was like what yes I'm black let's fight like (laughs) because this Ned kid really fucked with me and said that everyone was racist but they so weren't everyone's like cool man you're from Canada tell us everything about it and really welcoming it took me a little while to bring my guards down. I really, I started arcing up and acting out in class, like standing up when this girl was looking at me and I was like, the fuck you looking at? You want to fight? And she's like, no, I, I just think you're really cool. I'm like, that's right, man. That's right. <laughs> my mom was never there. I was always by myself. I had nobody. So being in a house full of people was really different for me. And me acting the way I was, which was distant and scared and wanting to be in my room, was really different from my dad. And he thought, she hates me. You know, she hates his family. And all I thought was, leave me alone. I don't know you. Like, give me some time. Time took years. <laughs> so we, it was it was rough couple of years. And my dad's really old school man and you know he's he's not one of those people you just take for a drink and get to know him no no he's he's an old school fella so i get him um but on the other hand what really balanced it out for me is my amazing stepmom she's an angel was she ethiopian Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah um and i had great siblings i'm really close to all of them they were all very welcoming and it's just a really good family to actually come into. So you were saying, I remember you saying he struggled with it the most. He, he really struggled with it just because, you know, um, he's someone that raised all his kids from when they were really young, you know, and he was able to build that relationship with them from, you know, a small age. And then I came in as an adolescent from a woman that you cannot trust. Um, so he, he struggled with it. He really did, you know, and especially with the fact that I wasn't trying either and I was really standoffish so he didn't know how to you know there was no meeting each other halfway I expected him to kind of make all the effort since I was the child and he struggled with that he's an ethnic old man and did he expect you to be a certain way do you think um I don't know what he really expected um, but I mean, if you met my siblings and you seen what they were like and what I'm like, you can understand he didn't know how to respond to me too well. What was the difference? They had a great relationship with him. You know, they had this, uh, a love and they can, and they can talk to each other and argue and debate and all of that. And I couldn't do that. I was terrified to say anything like just because I've never had a family before, you know, like I didn't know how to trust, like it's yeah it's it's understandable like he was just like shit all right try to be nice to her Mm. tell you what that girl's onto something like she's doing something (laughs) 
This is probably the most fascinating part of the story, that Mimi could go from an environment where death, drugs, guns and destruction were a way of life, and something she'd learned not to fear, to feeling terrified of new relationships in a loving family. You know, I, the, the fear that um, there was two different fears, you know, like over there, it was like a survival thing, like, you know, tomboy, so you don't get raped, you know, drop to the floor when you hear a loud sound, don't take the stairway, you hear the door, like there was just, you're always scared, you always know what these different things are over there, and it's never good. Um, and then you come here, and, you know, my fear was different. It was, I was scared to get close to anybody um my friendships were you know always conditional <laughs> um on, your behalf, on, on my yeah i never really got i always felt like everybody's got an expiry date with me like because i'm not going to get close enough for you to end up hurting me it's just going to be don't rely on me to be around for too long because i just i don't know it's just uh, because in the past what would happen um well you know when everybody lets you down over there as a child, and that's the one time that you're meant to be protected and looked after and cherished the most, um, you learn how to protect yourself. So I needed to protect myself in every aspect of my life, whether that be a friendship or relationship or with family. You know, my fear was, what if I get rejected by this man that I flew halfway around the world for? What if my family rejects me because I'm not, you know, you have both your parents here and I don't have anybody but this man that I've just met. So it was just, so guard was up. my guard was up 24-7, no matter who it was. You know, my, my mom let me down a lot. Um, you know, I was, um, I was hurt by, you know, older people that yeah. were meant to be protecting me. Mm-hmm. Um, the system, <laughs> everything was just kind of, oh, you know, your school and stuff, everyone right. kind of, you know, your teachers and all that know what kind of environment you're living in and there's not much that they do about it and... You know, um, but the biggest thing was like, you know, your, your mom is meant to be, you know, your warrior, like everything for you. And she just didn't do that. And I don't think that people really understand, like, if you don't heal from your childhood trauma, it's going to affect you in your adulthood. It really will, especially in relationships. And unfortunately, like I met some really cool people, like some really cool friends. Um, and I was just not really interested in getting to that next level of our friendship was just kind of like, I can't come, <laughs> you know, like, it's okay if you get disappointed, expect that from me. Like, right. I, um, this is who I am and I'm not going to change. At around 23, Mimi moved out of home and started to make her way in the world, getting her own place, going to uni and having fun or what she thought was fun. Uh, I went to Victoria University and I got my degree in, uh, Bachelor of Arts. Right. Sociology. No, I just yeah. got that degree so my dad could put it up on his wall and say my daughter got a degree. <laughs> I wasn't going to do anything with that shit. <laughs> how was how was uni life? Um, it was fun. Yeah. It, yeah, yeah, it, it was it Did was you live fun. At home? No, I lived at home. Um in yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah uni uh, uni really uh, opened up my eyes to a, a lot of stuff. You know, there was different people, cultures, and, you know, there was a different way to do uni, you know? Mm. You think of uni, you're just, like, stressful as fuck, but, nah, there's a bar there. 
<laughs> yeah, like there was just always somewhere to go between classes and there's always someone there and it, we had fun. We had fun. Going out there, exploring. Um, I got into fitness, yeah. working, but it, it was more like just finding myself, you know? Mm-hmm. I would go out and people seemed to like going out and having fun and I thought that that's what I was doing but I really wasn't having fun I really wasn't no it really wasn't that interesting you know like I was just trying to you know just be like everybody else but that's just not who I am who are you it's a big question (laughs) um I don't know I I guess I am a bit of a hermit like I just um I only I enjoy life so much better with my fiance. We can be in and out, and it doesn't really matter as long as I'm with him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my dog, my family. Not much of a party person. Right. It was really hard because you know now it was really um, I was on my own and I was making my own decisions and you know supporting myself and I had to I had to pretty much really transition into adulthood you know when you live under your parents roof you're not quite transitioning into adulthood especially in an ethnic you know religious family where you have a certain time that you need to be home by and you know you kind of you're stopping yourself from doing things because you have to go home you know like I wouldn't touch a cigarette because I don't want to go home and smell like that so I had a reason as to why everything like I stopped like all these things that I could potentially be doing. But once you're outside home, there's nothing from stopping you from doing all these things like dating or doing drugs or going out or doing anything that you want to do. That's it. You're on your own. Like now you get to live like a fucking adult. And once I started living like an adult, that's where I started, you know, going out there and meeting people. And I encountered all sorts of opportunities, um, you know, like alcohol and boys and drugs and smoking and all that kind of stuff and you need to make decisions for yourself and really protect yourself it was hard you know that balance of you know trying to I'm like yeah I'm gonna be a fitness person but I also want to party on Friday Saturday Sunday night and you know I really want to meet guys um but I don't want to talk to him <laughs> it's really hard um and you kind of just don't know what it is and you think that People don't like you, but then you realize, hang on a second, I haven't actually healed from, you know, my childhood. So, of course, I'm never, ever, ever going to build anything now with anybody if I don't heal from that. I need to acknowledge what I'm upset with, and I think that's when I kind of stopped talking to my mom. I was in contact with her. I spoke to her, like, pretty much all the time, but... Yeah, because just but basically, it's fair to say it just wasn't good for you, wasn't healthy for you it from that point on. Yeah. And so how did you go about healing from all this? Because it's like it's from somebody like I've, you know, I've had my own experiences in life and stuff. And but for me, that's very heavy shit, like Regent Park and stuff like that. Like, how does one go about healing, healing from stuff like that? It's 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 not it's a really, really long process. Um, You know, it's once you acknowledge what it is, you know, like. It's, it's the same thing when it's the same going when people tell you, you know, you need to cut the shit out of your life. Like people that are shit in your life that are bringing you down the minute you cut those people out of your life, great things start to happen. And that's exactly what I started doing is just being honest with myself. And I was just, I needed to 
take a step away from my mom and focus on myself. So this is early 20s, mid 20s. So some, you brought in some characters maybe that were, that could have, that reflected a bit of that or like in the past? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I needed to step away from my dad. Um, like, and that's one of the things like I moved out of home was because when you're too busy trying to please somebody, you don't seem authentic. And that's probably what my dad was smelling was, you know, lies. And I was like, yeah, I've got to get my degree. I've got to get a job. I get into fitness. And, you know, like, I want my dad to be proud of me. But I need to stop doing that. So in order to build an authentic relationship, I needed to be away from him and then visit. And he would be interested in me and how I'm doing outside of home. And I was interested in him and how he's doing without me there. And from there, we built like a, a real relationship, you know. Not a really strong one, because, you know, it's my dad. Um, but a better relationship that we're both happy with. It's like that with, I don't know, it's like that with, like, everything. Uh, unfortunately, like, as soon as you stop, as soon as you stop trying, as soon as you stop holding on so hard to something, right? It's just, yeah, it can come together. Like Exactly. I, I realized that when I started dating people, like, you know, um, guys would be like, hey, you know, you want to go out? And they're really keen. And then after dating a little while, they're kind of not so interested anymore. I'm like, what am I doing? And I'm just trying to sell them something that I think that they want. You know, I'm not being my true self, not being me. And that completely changed after I met Dan. Like, I was my authentic self. I was just like, fuck it, if he doesn't like this, you know. Back to Dan. Mimi's Croatian fiancé, who's into fitness and MMA fighting, who she loves dearly, who she's not afraid to say, basically changed her life. So me and him met uh, a few years ago. Um, well, we met online and we were talking for a little while. Um, and he was just so nice. Like, he was just a nice guy. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't trying to sell himself so much. He was more interested in me and he wasn't trying to find out if I was going to smash, you know, like (laughs) if he was going to smash, he wasn't one of those. He was just like a really nice guy. And then when we met up, he was really, he was really cute. Like, you know, we went out for dinner and then we went to a bar and, um, he pretty much just then there told me like, you know, I'm not talking to anybody else just so you know. And I was like, sweet. And three days after that, or our third day, that's when he pretty much just said, you know, we're in a relationship. And I was like, yes. <laughs> I was so happy. I was like, I was waiting for you to say it. <laughs> nice. I remember, uh, for some reason, it's stuck in my head. You're like, you, I remember you were looking at pictures of him. You're like, oh, he's got potential. Yeah. And then you met him and you're like, oh my God, he's fucking gorgeous. <laughs> they were your exact words. So funny because guys think that they look so good in these stupid photos. And he just, he put up these photos of himself. Now, they're not bad photos, but they're not, they don't present him well. When I seen his photos, like, I was just like, oh, he's all right. Yeah, he's, he's cute. He's all right. And then I seen him in real life. I'm like, Jesus Christ, this is what I'm fucking wearing. Look at this guy. <laughs> so hot. <laughs> I was just instantly, like, really attracted to him. Like, he's just, um, I don't know, he's got this really bright aura about him people just they meet him and he's just getting thrown opportunities left right and center like 
I remember like every single time he'll tell me about it and I'm just like, cool. And then I went and I joined my gym and they were just like, yeah, cool. You know, just sign right here. You know, here's your key pass, you know, have fun. And then Dayan went and he came back with all this fucking free shit they gave him. And I'm like, what? (laughs) He just gave him like water bottles and towels and bags. And I'm like, hey, I didn't get any of that. I don't know. I don't know, man. And it's just, it's amazing. Like, you know, he's just like, you know what? I'm quitting this job. And I'm like, are you sure? And then he's like, hey, I just got a job offer. Yeah, I'm totally quitting that job. I'm like, this guy, he could do whatever he wants. He's just one of those people. Do you think you're similar people? Um, we are similar in a sense where we have like the same uh, morals and values. And I, I think we're old school in a sense where um, I know what my role is in the relationship as a woman. And he knows what his role in the relationship is as a man. That expectation from each other. Okay. Um, we are similar, but our personalities are different. How so? Um, I don't know. I think he's a little bit more fun and he's a bit more sarcastic you know joking kind of guy I think I'm a little bit more serious and intimidating whereas he's more like hey I want to talk to that guy you see me and it's like hey let's not sit next to her (laughs) it's totally different is that like an important balance do you think I yeah I think so it works really well for the both of us so how how in the whole process like you said, you, you remember when we spoke the other day, you said he was a, he was a part of the healing process. Um, you know, like with meeting other people, um, I didn't, I wasn't my, like I wasn't my best self. Um, I wasn't even trying to be myself. I was just trying to be this pretty little thing, just, you know, trying to sell you something. Like I'm trying to trick you into being interested in me. <laughs> um, but with, day on it was completely different like my guards were down and um you know he made me feel really comfortable um and there's something about him that just feels like home you know like there's this this stability with him this protection you know like I don't have to protect myself anymore like he's he's gonna do that you know, so my guards have completely dropped and now I don't really care what people think or what they say, you know, like, mm, I don't care. Like this guy, this guy of the year, he thinks the world of me. <laughs> I don't care what you think. Um, like my whole idea, my whole outlook of life um, has completely changed after being with someone like him. So you said you were in a really good place when you met him. Is that fair to say? Or not so much? Uh when I met him, I, I was getting there. Getting I, there. I, I was getting there. I think I became my best self after the first year in our relationship, right. you know? Because um, it's it's weird. I look at other people's relationship and it's like once they've got each other, everyone, everything kind of just changes where they stop trying. You know, they feel comfortable. Like, oh, I don't have to look good, you know? Like, I've got him and mm-hmm. I've got her, you yeah. know? But with me and him, it's a little bit different. It's like I work really hard to keep him and he works really hard to keep me. The things that we do for each other and the way that we try and, you know, like fitness and surprising each other and, you know, like what can we do to entertain each other today? And it's always just been like that, you know? Um, We never just drop the ball, which is really nice. It's really, really nice. I I think um, that was one of my fears of relationships is like, you know, what if they stop trying and I misinterpret it as they don't care about me anymore and they're cheating or something like that. Yeah, 
yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I'm in the thick of that at the moment. Yeah, it's a, it's a big question. It's a tough one, like, before you throw yourself into something. Yeah. How to not just misread things and fire off and go, this yeah, means exactly. that, this means that. I'm big on that. I'm psycho. <laughs> more, more so than him? Oh, he's not psycho at all. Okay, here's a question. This is off topic. This is relationships. Do you think if he had elements, a lot of elements of that, psycho as you call it, I, I just call it, I don't know, maybe just sensitive and wary and well let's call it what it, whatever it may be like i'm comfortable with psycho <laughs> it is what it is <laughs> but if he had elements of that or if he was like that a little bit like that himself do you think it could still i uh, yeah i think so yeah, yeah I, I think so i don't think dan's ever been with somebody um who's paranoid or you know insecure before um and i have shown some psycho traits you know what I mean in this relationship um like he comes home late in our first year of dating um I was just like hmm he should be home by now and he'd come home late and automatically I'm like he thinks I'm stupid he's cheating on me (laughs) fuck this guy (laughs) and um one of the things that absolutely completely changed my perspective on things because when we first started dating it was really nice and and I felt different around him but I liked him so much that my paranoia started to kick in Mm. and I started doing things and he never said anything he's so sweet like he's just understanding and one day he just watched this thing with um Denzel Washington and um he was just doing this talk about you know perception and um you know um you attract what you fear. That stuck with me forever. I cannot explain it. And I'm just like, you know what? If I act like this and I push him away, it might just lead to some sort of, you know, cheating because who is going to, who's going to put up with that kind of shit? You know what I mean? So I had to completely change my mentality, like completely. I'm like, I need to stop acting like this because it's the last thing I want to do is attract my fear, you know? So that changed everything and really helped too. You know, I, I also really think it depends on the way that the person's acting. You know, when you're insecure and you've always been protective over yourself, you've also come with a lot of pride. And the last thing I ever want to do is allow someone to think that they've hurt me. So I was a little bit standoffish, but I don't have any evidence of anything. I know it's just my brain tricking me. So I didn't act out so right, much, right, right. That's the but I make jokes like, oh, you're with that bitch. And we still make jokes about that. I was like, mm, why did it take three times to ring? Were you with that bitch? He's like, yeah, I was with that bitch. <laughs> uh, my jealousy or my um, psychoness was really subtle. I mean, I can show some real psychoness, but that didn't actually warrant one you know what i mean right. it, it just didn't um like i I've, I've i've had my i've had my moments but yeah he didn't see any of that in the first year it was just mild sort of you know right. craziness and yeah so, he, so he dealt with it well it's funny because like when you yeah. get when you actually like somebody Um, you don't get to know them in the same sense that you would get to know a friend, you know? And when I get to know a friend and then I'm like, okay, there's backstory to this girl. There's a reason why she acts the way she acts. And when I find out, I'm like, ah, it all makes sense. And then I kind of know how to approach them in the right way because there's a backstory to it. But when you like someone, there is no backstory. All you think about is why they're acting like that. Why are they doing that? Uh, 
fucking tell me. And as I got to know Dayan and the way he is, this guy, like he would just leave. And he'd be like, I'm going to Coles. And Coles would be like across the street. And he'd be like an hour and a half. I'm like, oh, he's with that bitch. Like, <laughs> it's so funny. But Dan's the kind of person, ever since he was back home, like he just needs to leave the house. Mm. And sometimes I tag along with him. And he just needs to go and look around. He'll just come home with shit. Like, oh, I bought some nails. For what? For when I want to nail things? <laughs> He's so funny. Um, yeah, he just can't sit still. He just needs to do things. Like he'd, he'd happily volunteer to help a friend do something or whatever, just so he doesn't stay inside all day. Right, right. Um, and I'm like, this is his personality. Like there's a backstory to it. I need to get to know this guy a little bit more. I like liked him too quickly where there was no chill. I was just like, what's he doing? I'm like, liar. Right, right, right. Yeah. That, that bitch. <laughs> It's still our joke till today. This <laughs> with that bitch. I like that. I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say that to him next time I see him. I'll be like, "Were you with that bitch again?" Like, <laughs> you're like, you know how I do. <laughs> Mimi also says that she wouldn't be where she is if it weren't for her faith. I, I kid you not. I kid you not. I promise you, this is a true story. Growing up as a Muslim, I questioned the religion a lot. I really did. Islam. Yeah. And um, during Ramadan, my mom would be like, you know, make sure you pray five times today. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, cool, mom. And then I'm like, I'm not praying. And she'd come out, did you pray? I'm like, I did, I did, I did. And I would pray that, you know, I would have a dad. And I wish I could have an older sister. And I wish I could have a little sister. And I wish I could have a brother. And I said, I was like, I know I'm Christian. And I said that to God. And for me to have a real dad, an older sister, a brother, and a little sister, and Christian, blew my mind. I was like, that's not showing me that God is out there looking out for me. I don't know what is. Honestly, I was like, you got my back and I got yours. That's it. <laughs> How long did that all transpire after you said that prayer? Um, that was a long prayer. That was for many years. <laughs> it, was, it was years in the making. Um, Ever since my mom, like, you know, was just like, oh, make sure you do your prayers. And I'm like, yeah, cool. And I would just pray at night because, you know, I was by myself. And I didn't, I didn't believe in the religion at all, you know. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted a family and to be in my rightful religion. <laughs> so, yeah. Mimi's been through the wars and come out on top. She's moved far away from Regent Park her insecurities, and all the ghosts of her past. Throughout our chat, though, one question lingers in the back of my mind as we talk of all that she's overcome and achieved since escaping her old neighbourhood, all the way back in the beaten-down projects of Toronto. I honestly think that if I did not leave Regent Park, that I would be with somebody from Regent Park with probably kids and not finish school. That's usually the fate I, I think that's probably I mean I was already skipping school and lying to my mom about you know what I was doing and you know um I just yeah I had no intentions of being somebody else it was just it is what it is I'm from Regent Park you raised me here Thank you for tuning in to this episode. 
be sure to join us next time for another adventure on the Residence Podcast.